There's a popular joke that uh, does the rounds at this time of year, and it goes like this. If there had been three wise women instead of three wise men, they would have asked for directions, arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, brought practical gifts, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and there would be peace on earth. <clears throat> Humour works, of course, because there's a core of truth, but it's packaged within uh, much embellishment and supposition. For example, nowhere does the scripture say that there were three visitors, that they were men, that there was a baby, and that they visited a stable. Throughout Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, the word used of Jesus is child and not baby. Uh, this event happened sometime after his birth. And in verse 9, it says that the Holy Family were by this time in a house and not a stable. Of course, Christmas cards are, are to blame because they've tended to collapse together the shepherds and the magi. So here's what we do know. Sometime after the birth of Jesus, magi from the east came to Jerusalem asking where to find the child born to be king of the Jews. The magi may have come from Persia, an empire due east of Jerusalem, modern-day uh, Iran. Jerome and Augustine believe that they came from Babylon in modern-day Iraq also due east of Jerusalem. And still others have argued that they were from somewhere on the Arabian Peninsula, partly because this ties in with a number of Old Testament prophecies, including the one we heard from Isaiah this morning, which mentions Sheba, which is a small kingdom in the southern part of the Arabian Peninsula. But wherever they came from, they were clearly well-versed in astronomy, uh, they were probably royal advisors, we think, uh, who were wealthy enough to mount an extended journey and to carry with them expensive gifts. By the way, this kind of journey uh, to acknowledge the crowning of a new king or emperor was not unheard of in antiquity. So, how does this narrative function for Matthew, the gospel writer? I see here a dramatic contrast between Herod and the Jewish leadership on the one hand, and the Magi on the other. When the Magi arrived in Jerusalem, they inquired about the whereabouts of the child born king of the Jews. Now you'd expect the people of Jerusalem to burst into song and dance at this point and to celebrate uh, the long-awaited Messiah had finally come. But they didn't. It says that King Herod was frightened and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, I can understand why Herod may have been frightened. He was nearing the end of his life, and according to Roman historians, he was becoming more and more paranoid about losing his throne. He had his wife, Mariamne, his two sons, and numerous other family members murdered. He himself was not a Jew, but had adopted Judaism out of expediency. So I can partly understand Herod's reaction. It certainly fits with what we know historically of Herod the Great. But I can't understand the reaction of the chief priests and the scribes. It says that they were frightened, and then they do nothing. They knew the prophecy of Micah chapter 5, that says the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Uh, they advised the Magi of this. The Magi go on their way, but the religious leaders uh, do nothing. 
Fear seems to be mixed with apathy for some reason. By contrast, the Magi have seen a particularly bright star and have come to believe that the King of the Jews has been born. They journey to Jerusalem at considerable expense, danger, and personal commitment. They make inquiries and go on to Bethlehem. They come before Mary Joseph and the child Jesus and bow down and worship him. The contrasting reaction to the news of the birth of Jesus Christ could not be greater. The Jewish leadership who knew all the right answers and had every reason to welcome and worship Jesus couldn't care less. But a group of Gentile magi go to considerable expense and courage and trouble to inquire of him, to find him, to worship him, and give expensive gifts to him. Now, this narrative is exceptionally relevant for us today. And it's because it touches on one of the most puzzling aspects of human nature. If there is a God, a God who made all things, a God who loves us and redeems us, then this is the most important, the most urgent, and the most compelling piece of information you could ever come to know. More important than securing the career of your dreams, more important than a double degree at a prestigious university, more important than children, family, spouse, as important as they are, more important than anything in life. And yet, in my experience, there is a yawning lack, and I use that word in inverted commas, a yawning lack of interest in the general population in the things of God. The things that have ultimate significance, the things that give ultimate purpose, meaning, and value to human life. And it's not usually because people have made a thorough investigation as to the existence of God or the truth and reliability of the Christian faith. When we purchase a property, we are most particular about securing good legal representation to undertake on our behalf a process which we call due diligence. But when it comes to the single most important issue, many fail in this regard. There is no investigation. There is no conscientious inquiry. People base their decision on the flimsiest of information. Like the religious establishment of Jerusalem, there is no curiosity, no interest at all. And yet, there are some within our communities who are interested in seeking and finding the truth about Jesus Christ. They are the contemporary magi. They are the ones who have a hunch that there is a God. They are the ones who follow this instinct as the Magi followed the star. You are all here this morning because you recognize your need for God, your desire for God. My advice is don't suppress this yearning. Give it full flight. Trust your instincts. Of course, um, atheists will say that these desires don't actually map onto anything that's real. It's just wishful thinking, they say. The star you think you're following is a dream. 
the title of Richard Dawkins's book, The God Delusion, sums up the proposition that God is just a delusion and a dangerous one at that. But we must recognise this argument for what it is. German philosopher Ludwig Feuerbach in the 19th century and Sigmund Freud in the 20th century both argued that Christianity was merely a case of wish fulfilment, a projection of unfulfilled human longings. Freud argued that God was simply an imagined father whom we invent because we need security. But suppose we want God to exist. This does not logically mean that he can't exist. In fact, I would argue that we shouldn't be surprised if we have a certain kind of yearning within us for God. We shouldn't be surprised that this is a kind of homing instinct that God himself has planted within us. Furthermore, we can easily argue that atheism itself is a kind of wish fulfillment. As Alastair McGrath has said, historians point out that atheism became a significant force in Western culture, partly because it meant that if we no longer have to reference God in our moral reasoning, we can do what we like. You can see that a need not to be accountable to God might be attractive to some people. So the wish-fulfillment argument actually works both ways. So let's think more about this feeling of desire for God, the feeling that must have motivated the Magi in this, their search for Jesus. Do you feel that desire for God this morning? Do you have a yearning to know God, who is the ultimate reality? C.S. Lewis used the word joy to express this desire, this longing for God. But he uses it in a particular way. He uses it to mean a thrilling pang or a stab of longing that is both intensely desirable and yet achingly painful. It's mysterious. It's elusive. It never fully satisfies what it appears to promise. But it is a signpost to a relationship with God. Do you know what I mean? You might feel this on a mountaintop. Probably not that many people have been on a mountaintop. I think I've only ever been on one mountaintop in my life. But um, a beautiful sunset, or at the birth of your child, or listening to Dvorak's New World Symphony, or a magnificent piece of music, or poetry, or ballet, and you've been lifted to a higher reality, and you're tingling, and your heart is fit to burst. Lewis put it this way, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for these desires exist. A baby feels hunger, well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. By another world, Lewis, of course, would not be advocating a kind of escapism. Another world has to do with the spiritual reality of God's reign, 
which is within and among our physical existence. Now, while there are many who report these glimpses of joy, I readily accept that others do not. Perhaps like the priests and the scribes, they feel they may have something to lose. Perhaps they're distracted. And goodness knows there's so many, many distractions in today's world. Perhaps they are antagonistic. Whatever the reason, I fully understand that some simply don't experience these feelings. So my final message is twofold. At the beginning of this new year, if you haven't worshipped Jesus as the Magi did, if you don't experience feelings of desire for God, then seek him anyway. Jesus said, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. Once we begin our search, these feelings, I am certain, will come. And for those who have experienced tiny glimpses of joy, press in more. There is more to learn about God. There is, there's more to experience of God's love. Continue to put yourself in a position to inquire, to seek, to find, to worship, to put yourself at God's disposal, to give him your gifts of love and service. He is a seeker-friendly version of the joke I began with, and I did not get this off the internet. You're the second congregation to ever hear this. Three wise seekers, men or women, would have asked for God's guidance, heeded the yearning within, persevered with the journey, worshipped the infant saviour, offered him their gifts, and been an agent of peace on earth. Amen.